Welcome to the Rookie Mortgage Broker Podcast with your host, Scott Peckford. Hey, Broker Nation. Welcome to Allenby Rookie Mortgage Broker Podcast. Every Friday, we talk to a rookie who's making waves in the mortgage industry to find out what they're doing to succeed in today's competitive market. Today, I have Laura Beam. Laura is a mortgage agent who was licensed in November 2020. I love her last name. It's actually B-E-H-M, but it's pronounced Beam. I just think that's a cool name. In any case, in her first year, she funded 12 mortgages for $5.5 million, and she's already done more than that this year, which is awesome. And one of the couple things I take from this conversation with her first, she shares an underwriting tip on income type and how it can impact how much you can qualify a client for. One of the things I started doing in this show is asking about like a problem file that came up and how they would solve it today, because I think it's useful for you. We also talk about how she found her first 10 files. And we go deep into this because she actually didn't do it in the traditional way. She just used her network. And so she reached out to her network and was able to close her first 10 files from reaching out to her network. And I get very specific on my questions with her. And finally, we talk about one of the surprising things about being a mortgage broker, about the things you do and do not have control over. Most people, we don't really understand the business till we get into it. So before we jump into this episode, let me give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application document collection submission platform. Very easy to use for borrowers. They've got fantastic tech. It is just super, super slick. It's got things like smart docs. So as the client's filling out the app, it automatically knows which documents that the client's going to need. Let's them know that. It's got smart submission notes, which means that when you go to hit submit, there's certain key pieces of data in that application that the lender is going to need, your underwriter, and it pulls them out of the application and puts them into the notes. And then finally, it's connected to the lender spotlight, which means you can search every rate guideline. And before you even hit the submit button, it'll be like, hey, you're sending it to this lender. Be aware, you need these things. And it just gives you that second set of eyes to help you not waste time on files. Check it out at lendescom slash Finmo to get a free demo and check out this conversation with Laura. Hey, Laura, welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. So, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself and where you're from. My name is Laura Beam. I am located in Ontario, just outside of Toronto. I live in a smaller town on the east end of the city. Recently joined the mortgage industry. Late 2020 was licensed and joined a brokerage at the beginning of 2021. Okay. And so how did you end up in the mortgage business? Like most people don't think about this. This was probably a second or third career for you. What was your previous career? And then what was the path that led you to become a mortgage broker? Yeah. So second career for me, although it may make you sound really old when you say second or third career, but second career for me. um, And in 2020, just started to consider some other career choices. My most recent role, I actually worked at Nielsen. We do market research, TV ratings is how most people know us. And I was account executive there working in the US, traveling quite a bit, which actually didn't mind, but I was in the States two to three weeks a month. But when COVID hit and was at home, really started to give just life in general a second thought and wanted to explore different career options. So I did investigate a number of different things. And after networking with a bunch of people, decided on the mortgage industry. I just have a passion for personal finance and real estate, and it was a good fit for my background and what I was looking to do. What was the other option if there was another career that was... I did look into being a financial advisor and to be honest, didn't want the stress of managing other people's money. Although what I've already quickly realized with mortgages. Oh yeah, there's there's definitely stress in mortgages. Oh yes, yes. Uh, These bags under my eyes definitely have had some sleepless nights already with that. So again, same kind of industry, personal finance, but like I said, didn't want the stress of managing other people's money. So landed on this. One of my friends, Peter Matheny talks about how he 
was a financial advisor and you'd rather give people money than take it from them because the financial advisor is like, give me your money so I can do something with it. Mortgage is like, hey, here's some money, buy a house, you know, yeah. renovate your house. And so I think you touched on this, but you started part-time and then yeah, talk about that. You started out part-time from May till when, and then when did you go full-time? Yeah, so started in May of 2021, officially joining a brokerage. And as probably anyone listening to this podcast would agree, tons and tons to learn, especially when you're coming from outside of the industry. So I spent kind of the first six months just getting to know the processes, the rules, the lenders, things like that. My plan was always to go full time, but wanted enough kind of background under me before I pulled the proverbial plug on my other role, uh, which I did in November of 2021. So I've been full-time since November of 2021. Okay. And so how long were you part-time? I'd say kind of six months, like officially before I went full-time. And so was there any point you questioned, this is the right career for you? Like, is there any point you're like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? I should have stuck with Nielsen and, you know, help people decide what to watch on daytime TV. Just kidding. (laughs) It's always hard. And I was prepared for this and still am. It's always hard in the beginning. You're not making kind of a full-time salary living wage. So there's definitely times where I think back about my paycheck and just kind of in general, was that right decision, but kind of knowing where I am now. And I was prepared for that coming in for that kind of slowdown in income. I wouldn't say there's been any kind of major things that have doubted why I took this role. It is definitely a lot more stressful than I thought it was going to be, especially the lack of control we have kind of as agents, but no, no kind of, oh my gosh, I've made the wrong decision. Okay. You said something, what do you mean by lack of control? So this is for basically rookies because people have one expectation of what mortgages is. Like I like real estate, I like numbers. This will be great. Not realizing, oh my gosh, there's a lot to learn, but what control are you talking about? First of all, I would say timeline. So when you're submitting files to lenders, I try and have learned to do the best job you can packaging up the file so that you don't have questions back and forth with the underwriter at the lender. But there's a lot of times where you're under a time crunch, you've got a COF on a file, or you've got a closing and whoever you're working with on the lender side is super busy and can't get back to you. And you just don't have any control other than following up with them to try to get them to look at the file would be one example that I'm talking about. Right. And you said that it's also more stressful than you expected. Give me an example of that. I'm not trying to dissuade someone from becoming a mortgage broker, but I just want people to know if you're newer that it's a fantastic career, but it's still work. So what's something well, that stressed you out or like that you, you were like, you oh have, my gosh. You have people's finances and house closings literally in the palm of your hand. And going back to the lack of control, you don't always have the control to turn an approval around super quickly or things like that. I had a closing actually that was happening today. And last week, something came up on the file where we had to go back to an exception from the central team. And the folks have a closing in a week, right? And they've gone unconditional, like we need that approval to happen in a week before there's not much we can do. So just waiting for that turnaround to come back from the lender on the actual exception request. I mean, what I have started to realize is all those times that I have been super stressed We've been able to figure it out and we usually ends up being okay with the lender that we're with, but the stress of waiting for that answer is like, I literally have sleepless nights sometimes. Oh yeah. I remember that. Do you underwrite your own files or do you have an underwriting department or what happens there? How do you do? You do? I underwrite my own files. Yep. Okay. In case um, you can't time a little bit of a control freak. So yeah, I, more, I, the I, best mortgage <laughs> brokers do have a control freak gene yeah. running through them. So can you share a file that you lost when you first started out to think back and be like, oh, if I would have known this or would have done this different, I would have kept the file. I'd love to share because I like people to see that as a 
you know, learning opportunity? There is a couple, but one that, to be honest, I feel like there should have been a way for me to kind of win it. I was competing against TD and given that TD's in the channel, probably there should have been something I would have been able to do to get the business myself. But even now, I'm not sure kind of months later what I could have done differently. I think there's just been a couple where people have come to me and this is kind of at the beginning stages where you're answering questions. And one thing I have learned being an agent is as much as they try to teach you in the course that everything's black and white racers are 39, 44, but when you go to Scotia, you can get an exception. They don't teach you that. Right. So at the beginning, right. I'm a rule follower. So following those guidelines, and then you find out kind of six months later, Oh, Scotia will allow you exceptions. And you're kind of going back to the drawing board on what you were thinking in that circumstance. Right, right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. It is not black and white. If it was one plus one is two, they wouldn't even need people to do it. They could do the software. Mm -hmm. And the thing I think people don't often don't realize is how much the relationship matters with that lender. Like the lender relationship, if they like you and you have a good relationship, you're going to get more yeses. If they don't, it's going to be harder. So can you share, like, what's your best underwriting tip or something that you've learned recently that's been, you know, on the underwriting side that you're like, huh, I didn't know this. And now this has been a useful thing. I'm just curious if you have something. Making sure you understand the requirements for each income type. So that file that I was actually just referring to with the exception that we had to go back, it was an older couple, believe it or not, they were in their 80s. And I had qualified them both on income, pension income, and assets. And on the income perspective, one of their pensions was a fluctuating income. And I had qualified them using their T4. So when I provided the bank statements, that's when the bank realized that the income fluctuated from month to month. So then I had to go get another exception. So I would just say, making sure you understand for every single income type, what the requirements are so that you're making sure you're submitting the right paperwork and qualifying the property. The file was strong. It was okay, but we just had to go back for an exception on our original submission on the file. Right. So income type makes the documents change and really you better make sure you've got that nailed. So let me ask you this, who are your top three lenders right now? I know this can change, but who are the three lenders that you're finding you're getting lots of love from? Uh, Scotia, MCAP, and Mm -hmm. I would say First National. Okay. And how do you decide which institution the best place to send a file? I'm curious about that. What is your thought process or model that you use to figure out where to send files? It's funny. I would say it is evolving as I go forward. So, and I took Jill's course, which I thought was phenomenal for anyone listening. I really recommend it. But I think sometimes it depends on the circumstance. So as an example, if I need a quick turnaround file, I'm going to MCAP. So it doesn't matter if... Scotia has a better rate or there's another lender that has a better rate. If I need a quick turnaround file, I'm going to go to MCAP because I know I'll have a commitment back in a few hours that's almost fully underwritten, if not fully underwritten at that time. So I've tried to allow clients to push me into different products or lenders before I want to go with a bank when I should have pushed back given the timing saying we don't have the time to go to Scotia and wait for weeks for a commitment and to go back and forth. So really understanding that it's not just about even the product or the rate, but also what kind of service are you going to get? Does that lender have technology that you need to support extra payments, things like that? Right. That makes a lot of sense. So there are kind of two skills I always talk about when it comes to mortgage brokers, sales and underwriting, which was harder for you? (laughs) Which is hard for me (laughs) is sales. So that's why I'm taking uh, Stevie D's course. Stevie D's uh, cohort. Okay. So can you tell me a little bit about your, you've mentioned before about your, First sort of six, seven months in the business, how many mortgages did you find from that May to January of 2021? 10. 
10 and about three and a half million in volume. And then how's it gone so far this year? So this is in, you know, what are we at month six, I think right now, so yep. halfway through. So how are you in this year? So 12 and five and a half million dollars in volume. And where's your business come from? All referral based, primarily referrals from friends and family. So when I joined the business, I actually sent out 300 different emails to friends and family or close contacts, letting them know. That was my that- next question I was going to say is how did your friends and family know what you were doing? So was it a one-to-one email or one-to-many? I won't tell them I did this podcast, but it was a copied and pasted that sounded like it was one-to-one. Oh, that's so okay. Changed, but you did have, but they were the, actually sent one-to-one. Yes. You just oh yeah, I didn't do text. one blanket email. I changed each one like, hey, Scott, how are the kids? Right. I've gone on um, vacations lately. Yep. So from the 300 emails, what kind of responses did you get? I would say some immediate responses back, like just chatting. I would say it had to look, but I would say all of those 10 either came directly from those emails or people that I had sent those emails to that had then referred me to other friends and family. Okay. So that list, and then you don't have to get into the specifics. So what did you say in the email? So if I'm your friend and you're shooting me an email and I know you as a Nielsen rating girl, and you're like, you know, all about the TV, what did you say to get people to pay attention? explained mostly the reasons that I had made because it's a really big change for me working in the corporate industry for like over 20 years into obviously being self-employed. So talking a little bit about the change and why I had made it, which is kind of my personal passion for the financial industry and the real estate industry. Okay. So you made it a personal message, but also talking about your passion. And did you ask for business or did you say, if you know anybody or how would you do there? Yeah. So in the beginning, I think I said, like, if you know anyone that needs my services, let me know. I would say over time, as I continue to do reach outs uh, with people, it's asking more targeted questions. Like if you know anyone that's moving, because a lot of people, of course, almost everyone needs a mortgage, right? Or most people need a mortgage. You're not going to just start referring. You got to go specific. It's too difficult for people to be like, you know, I know lots of anybody's, but who's the specific somebody that I can think about? Right. So the moving one is easy because, you know, when people are moving, right, for the most part, there's a sign on their lawn or they're talking to right. you as opposed to like my mortgage is up for renewal. That doesn't happen. Oh, that's often. a good question to ask. Yeah. Everybody's moving. And then how often are you doing the follow up? You did the 300 emails. How long did that take you approximately? And then how often are you following up with these people? I think I set a goal for myself to have that done in kind of six-ish weeks. And I was working at the same time. So I think I did that over like six weeks to two months. I would not say actually I have been great on friends and family follow-up. Instead, what I'm doing is now reaching out to referral partners, whether they're realtors or accountants or investment planners, things like that. I'm doing that on a daily basis. Right. So you're in Steve Diamond's coaching cohort at the Talents Month Academy. So what's been your biggest takeaway from Stevie D? I think a couple things is one, structuring your day, like whenever I don't follow the advice and don't get it done first thing, I kind of lose my day, right? Because all of a sudden I'm answering client questions and I'm lost in my email or doing whatever the case is. So I think setting targets and getting them done first thing in the morning before you let the day run away. And also just that it's just a phone call, right? So no one's kind of chewed me up for calling them or like every call has been kind of generally positive or just meh, which is okay. The math's okay, but they haven't been horrible, which I have this thought that they're going to be horrible. And to be honest, it actually has already turned into live deals for me. So I know what he's So how many calls are you making a week right now? So I've, <laughs> I'm on two calls a day. We started that's that okay. one. There's no, on it's two like calls two a day. calls a day keeps yeah. the doctor away. You know, it's kind of like. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and they're, totally they're not, I'm trying to make them quality calls. Like sometimes yeah. I'm today, I was on the phone with someone for 40 minutes. So they weren't like a two yeah, minutes. It's a catch up. And call. so one other question before I move on on the list, how did you come up with a list of 300 emails? So like most people don't have 300, where did you find all these people? I went through all of my LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram contacts for people that wouldn't be completely weirded out that I would send them an email letting them know that I had changed careers. And if you found them on Facebook or Instagram and didn't have their email, what did you do there? I messaged them through Messenger. So you just do the same thing, but just through Messenger. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it was a variety. And actually, depending on the person, sometimes I text people, right? Like if they're a texter, I'm not going to send them an email. So it was a variety of like texting, messaging. Different modalities. Yeah. Say. Okay. All right. So I got some rapid fire questions to ask if you like. So what's one thing people can't find out about you from Google? I kind of feel like you can find everything out from anybody on Google nowadays, but I would say my husband and I have a small hobby farm that started as a bit of an accident, but I sell chicken eggs on the side. For oh, nice. We, we bought an acreage just recently and I would love to be outside more. Instead of my wife. Normally I love work. I do love work still, but I'm kind of like, I could see me being like a little farmer out there. The- oh, just be careful. We started with six chickens and we have almost 200 animals now. So I know. I, well, we started with two dogs and now we have two yeah. cats and one of them is pregnant. So we're running a whole like, yeah. you know, this has been a month and a half. So mm-hmm. I can imagine. Okay. So what's a movie everybody should watch at least once? I love Shawshank Redemption. That's my favorite. Great movie. And then what's three software programs or digital tools you can't run your business without? So I would say my phone. Gmail, and I am now a remarkable user. I'm a big note taker, and I still use notes throughout the day for chicken scratch, but I use a remarkable tablet. And do you use that for taking notes with clients and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I know some of the people that do that as well. And Uh, the lenders helps keep the lender notes organized and things like that. Right. What's the best advice you received as a new mortgage broker? To find a mentor, hands down. It doesn't matter how much training you do, those quick like, hey, I've got this file or what do I have to submit from a compliance perspective for a reverse mortgage? Just to have somebody who can ask, you can ask questions. Yeah. Too. You do need to get support. And then yep. knowing what you know now, is there anything you do differently if you're starting over again tomorrow? So if you had to start today? Well, probably start those reach outs and ongoing reach outs faster and keep them up. Yeah. Most people say that they say I should have done that sooner. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. Cause sometimes what happens is you'll reach out to somebody that you've been kind of putting off in six months and say, Oh, I just did a mortgage. And like the amount of you? yeah a hundred percent because when I started sending the emails it was spring of 2021 probably more towards summer and but that you've was been when since November yeah and it yeah. was a purposeful decision I wasn't just putting that off but because of the decrease in rates the amount of people that had just refinanced which you knew they actually had just refinanced they weren't just giving you the story I knew they had just knew refinanced. It was true. Yeah, yeah that's awesome okay yeah. where can people find you online the mortgages so b-e-h-m mortgages.com Awesome. One time I had a server. His name was Moonbeam. <laughs> He's like, my parents were hippies. Yeah. <laughs> like, <that's hilarious. laughs> like noted. Yeah, noted. Uh, but Beam, that's a cool last name. Mine is kind of like, you know, it's good. It's okay. But all right, Laura, it's been awesome to chat with you. Congrats on your success. It's cool to see what you're doing. And I know that you're also doing some stuff with Hannah, who's amazing. She's one of our coaches and love Hannah. So congrats. And um, we'll have to have you back at some point in the future and see how things are going for you. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. 
All right. Thanks again for listening to my conversation with Laura. Hopefully you picked up a couple nuggets from that. I love how she shared about reaching out and getting, you know, those first 10 files from her network and her underwriting tip was also pretty awesome. If you're a new agent and you're trying to build your business, one of the things that we coach our agents on is what we call your personal pitch and then your no pressure pitch. And so your personal pitch is when you meet people who knew you as one thing, how do you explain to them that you're doing a new thing? And then the no pressure pitch is basically how you can get people to refer you, even though they know you're new and they know you're inexperienced. You know, in Laura's case, she had people that were still willing to take a bet on her but sometimes they don't. And so what do you do? So we show you that. If you're interested in finding out how we can help you, go to rookie2rockstar.ca. Got a webinar there. We'll walk you through, show you exactly how we help new agents. Thanks again for listening to this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.